Thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. For more information about our church, service times, and resources, please check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com. You can also search One Cause Church on Facebook and on Twitter. God bless you. Hey, man, we're going to talk about tonight what it means to be a real Christian. I believe everybody in this room is probably a real Christian. I don't know about you, but when I got born again, when I, when I came to the Lord, I didn't hardly know anything about it. I just believed it, accepted it, and then I started learning all that had happened to me. Is that kind of your experience? I mean, you can't, you can't learn your way into this thing. You have to faith your way into this thing. You learn later, okay? You learn what it was all about as time goes by. And I, I, uh, I know that not every family and not every person always looks like a Christian. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I heard a story about one little boy that was in the back seat of the car on the way home from church that they dedicated his baby brother. He's in the back seat, and he just busts out crying. Parents said, what's the matter? He said, well, the preacher said he wanted us raised in a good Christian home, but I was really hoping to stay with y'all. <laughs> Not every Christian always looked like a Christian. <laughs> Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1. <clears throat> Pastor Eric asked me to just pick up on this teaching. And I really appreciate this. Appreciate the opportunity to preach at my home church. You all know I'm traveling a lot and preaching. Preaching all over everywhere. I mean, just for those of you who may not know, what I really do is I, I give oversight to other pastors and churches. We have a church that we frequent, and I'm just going to start naming them. In Marble Falls, y'all know Miss Roxanne. Marble Falls, Texas. Bandera, Texas, Pastor Greg Young. Kerrville, Texas, Pastor Burt Wimberly. Austin, Texas, Pastor Brandon Holler. And Lockhart, Texas, Pastor Brandon Holler. We have a church that we're associated with in Temple, Texas. Pastor Ed Dowell there. Met through Pastor John and Jana. We have a church that we uh, are regularly uh, preaching at and ministering to in, in Decatur, Texas. Maybe the largest church in America is in Decatur, Texas. And I'm going to say it like this, percentage-wise. The town has about 5,000 people in it. Their church has 1,000 people in it. Praise God. Pastor Eric, when we get 20% here, we're going to be doing pretty good. Amen. Amen. They, uh, they're doing a wonderful job over there. Be going over there this spring, preaching out in Sulphur Springs with Pastor Terry Sparks. Y'all know him. Preach, preach considerably in Conroe, Texas, where Pastor Harold Morton is. I think some of you know him. San Angelo, Texas, Dr. Jerry Roach, and especially with Pastor Brandon Marshall, uh, Brandon Clark. I got a lot of Brandons. Pastor Mar Brandon Marshall is ours. Pastor Brandon Clark out there. We've got another uh, Brandon, a Brandon Mercer in Granbury, Texas, that we frequent quite often. We've got a young man that I haven't gone to his church yet. He's in Knoxville, Tennessee. But I'm going to be going to see Jamie Goldenberg in Knoxville, Tennessee. I minister quite a bit in a church in Durant, Oklahoma, with uh, Pastor Curtis Coker. Pastor Curtis has been here and preached to all of you. How many of you heard him speak? Yes. He's a crazy man. We sure, we sure like him. Amen. Full of revelation. Hobbs, New Mexico. We've got another large church in Hobbs that we are part of and uh, minister to Pastor uh, Dean and Pastors Dean and Kathy Shropshire. And they've got about a thousand people in their church as well. So, uh, God's doing really, really good things, and we get to travel a lot and meet all kinds of new people. I love the fact that God. Uh, that, that, that God has all kinds of people in his family. 
And, that, and what, I'm, what I mean by that is, you know, I, we just said it, not, not every family, not every Christian always looks like a Christian. I'm not talking about you going out and just sinning a sinful life. I'm saying that there are times when, when the devil hits you with sickness that you know what you're supposed to say. I mean, you know what you, you know what you're supposed to say. But sometimes that may be the third or fourth or fifth thing you say. Uh-huh. Honey, we still got in them pills. Man, my back is just hurting me. I don't know why. I must have slept wrong. See, there's three statements already. We hadn't got around to making our confession yet. So those first, are you hearing me? I'm not saying you're not a Christian because you do that. I'm just saying you don't look like a Christian. Because when I... Because when I read the scriptures, they were powerful people. You see, you have this power working on the inside of you. Galatians chapter 2 really tells us something interesting. And you get a little bit of historical background on why we have the gospel that we do. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, Then 14 years after Paul, I went up again to uh, Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Now Titus is a Greek. And I went up by revelation. Now, what Paul means when he says he had a revelation was Jesus told him this. Jesus told him to go to Jerusalem. When he says, I went up by revelation, it didn't say that he read the book of Revelation first and then went up there. That's not what he meant. It wasn't even written then. And the apostle Paul says, I went up by revelation. The Lord revealed to him, showed him. And Jesus was always re- revealing himself to Paul in many, many ways. He'd just show up, just be with him. He would see him, hear him, and communicated unto them the gospel, he says, which I preach among the Gentiles. The gospel which I preach among the Gentiles. As though there might be another one. I mean, even that statement makes it sound like others preached a bit differently. Some of them in a perverted way, but some of them, it was just different. And listen, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. He didn't say privately to those who were apostles before me here. He said privately to those who were well known. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. That is, he said, Titus did not want to be circumcised and wasn't circumcised. And the reason they're talking about this, it says, and that, that discussion came up, because of false brethren unawares brought in who came in privily. See, so Paul's got Titus with him, and he says to him, Titus, If you're going to be able to go everywhere you want to go with me in Jerusalem, you might want to think about being circumcised. I don't want to be circumcised. You told me I was made righteous by faith. Well, I know, but you just don't know how my people are. They're not going to like the idea of you, a Greek, walking around in these places where I can go unless you're circumcised and converted to Judaism first. Titus said, I'm not doing it. That's how the conversation went, something like that. I'm not doing it. Paul loves Titus. Titus is loyal to him. Titus apparently is a redneck Greek because he wasn't scared. You know what I mean? I don't care. I'm not doing that. And I don't blame him. Most men don't want a sharp object taken to them like that. That because of false, but I got one amen. (laughs) They did this to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. To whom we gave... Now, I hate to talk talk to you about how these people were spying out their liberty. But you can just imagine what they were doing to spy out their liberty. They were following them to the bathroom. 
Now, some religion is just stupid. I don't know what you think about it, but I just say that's just stupid. If you've got to follow a guy to the bathroom to see if he can come to your church. <laughs> Go someplace else. To, <laughs> to whom we, it's kind of silly when you think about it, isn't it? To whom we gave place by subjection? No, not for an hour. We didn't submit to that, not even for a, an hour. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Here, you see what's on the line? What's on the line? Here's the truth is, the one thing that can hinder the truth of the gospel is religious legalism. That's the one thing that can hinder the truth of the gospel, religious legalism. It's the biggest wag the dog in the body of Christ. It's the biggest wag the dog in the church. It may be the biggest wag the dog in the universe. Because we do know and we preach and believe and practice that this grace creates good works in us. If you've got the grace working in you, good works are going to be there in your life. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. I'm just saying that you're going to go toward perfection. We don't ever make an allowance to say, well, nobody's perfect. That's silly. We have Jesus, and he lives on the inside of us, and you can live a perfect life. You can live above sin. Sin's just stupid anyway. You can live above it. Do you understand this? The grace that works in you created a holiness in you. And by the way, the Holy Spirit came into your life, and his first name is Holy. Amen. Holy Ghost. He's holy. He's just as holy as he is ghost. Amen. All right? So, but... And we understand these things to be true, but let's never wag the dog and say, and if I'll just live right, I can be made righteous. That's false religion. That's false doctrine. You're not made righteous by how you perform. You're made righteous by one thing, faith in the grace of God and the blood of Jesus. You are made righteous by what you believe, not how you perform. But your righteousness creates a performance that's astounding. Amen. Can I have a good amen? Amen. All right. <clears throat> to whom we give, we give place, no, not for a minute. Look at verse 6. But of those who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepts no man's person. Oh, wait a minute. Who's he got that sarcastic attitude toward? But from those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows part, personal favoritism to no man. Who's he talking about? No. He's talking about Peter, James, and John. Talking about them like they're just other guys. I don't know. They seem to be something special, but I... Wow. Wow. For those who seem to be something, added nothing to me. Well, who'd be adding to Paul? Peter, James, and John. Kind of, kind of striking when you think about that. Now, we're not talking about disrespect for great, for great men. But Paul did not submit himself to... <laughs> None of these guys led him to Jesus. They never taught him anything about the Lord. Everything he got... To tell you, Jesus talked to him directly. Good gravy. Talked to him directly and told him what he wanted him to tell us. Do you know why? It would be impossible for Peter, James, and John and the rest of them to do it. Impossible. The reason being, for three and a half years, they heard the gospel of the kingdom from Jesus himself, the gospel to the Jews. For three and a half years, there's no possible way for them not to dilute the gospel of Christ, of grace to the Gentiles with what they'd heard from Jesus. There'd be no way for them to do it. He had to find somebody who had not walked with him. Not only did he find somebody who had not walked with him, he went and found somebody that hated him. I'll show you. Say you hate me, you're going to love me <laughs> before this is over. <laughs> you're going to love me, Paul. And he did. Revealed himself to him in a, in a way where Paul couldn't say no. I'm going to make you an offer. 
It's the apostles and elders he's talking about. Verse 7. But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. Now, why would they make a distinction as though there are two gospels? I didn't write this. What, I, what happened, Everett? I just found it. I didn't write it, but it's there. And it's worded that way on purpose to make you understand. It's funny how we've just read over it all these years and never seen it. It's funny how most of the body of Christ reads over it and never sees it. That there's a difference in the way they presented the gospel to the Jews and the way they presented the gospel to the Jews. It's a, different, it's a different gospel. I mean, it's the same message, but it's presented in a different way because the one is heavy on the kingdom. The other is purely heavy on the king. You know, you, you all realize that really you're not going to experience the kingdom until you go to heaven. I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15 says, flesh and blood shall not inherit. You're going to have to get your new body to really get the kingdom. Well, well, we got to go into the promised land. Yes, you did. And don't you forget that Israel was in the promised land for 1,500 years before they had a kingdom. You're in the promised land. Enjoy yourself. Kill some giants, glory to God. Obtain the promises. Get your stuff. Take from the devil what he's been squatting on that belongs to you. Amen. Amen. All the promises of God in Christ Jesus are yours. All of them. If he ever promised anybody anything, he promised it to you. You can have it. Amen. Whatever he ever promised anybody, you can have it. You got to hear it. I know it hadn't always gone that way for you. Hey, it hadn't always gone that way for me. But it doesn't happen because God said it. It happens because your faith rises to receive it. And your faith will only rise to receive it is if you will keep letting yourself hear it. Let your heart hear it. Are you hearing me? Let your heart hear the Word of God. Let your heart hear the promises of God. Yeah, we're part of the kingdom. But you need to be taught, really, that the kingdom is still coming. What you have is the promised land. Glory to God. Glory to God. And they didn't really get the kingdom until David came. They thought they had a kingdom under Saul, but it never was, it never was combined. They got the solid, full kingdom when David came. And that's when the kingdom's going to be completely, ooh, glory to God, completely manifested when great David's greater son comes. Amen. Amen. This is the promised land you live in. This is not, you know, the promised land is not indicative of heaven. We used to sing this song. I'm on my way to Canaan's land where the soul never dies. That's a great song, and I love that song. And when I hear them sing it, I sing along with them. But I keep my fingers crossed because it's not true. <laughs> I don't really mean it. I just like the song. Sometimes then I, after that, I'll sing a Led Zeppelin song to get edified because <laughs> some religious music is just dumb. I'm, Canaan's land is not hev heaven. There are no walled cities trying to keep you out. There are no giants running around trying to kill you in heaven. Canaan's land and the promised land represents where you live right now. Yeah. Amen. This is our walk of faith. That's what Canaan's land represents. They were in the land of not enough, Egypt. Went out there into the wilderness to the land of just enough. Every day they had to get their manna. But God was really trying to get them an 11-day trip at the most, trying to get them to the land of more than enough. But they wound up out there in the wilderness, you know, for 40 years because of the way they talked. Oh, they were in the wilderness because of their sin. No, they were in the wilderness because of their bad confession. He said, for every day you were up there bad-mouthing the promises, you're going to spend a year. For every day, 40 days, you're going to spend a year out in that wilderness because of what you said. 
Are you listening to me? How many of you want in the promised land for your own self? You want in that promised land, you got to change the way you talk about the promised land, about the promises. Amen. Glory to God. You've been preaching this or something, Pastor Eric? They're, they're, they like it. Is that right? When they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. See, Peter had a gospel that was based on the kingdom. That's why the first nine chapters, you read the first nine chapters of the book of Acts, you never do hear Peter tell them, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You never hear him say, Christ died for your sins. Not once. Not once. Every time he mentions Jesus dying, he's blaming them for it. You bunch of killers, you killed your own Messiah. What kind of jerks are you? I mean, that's just the way he talked to them. He's dead, he died, and it's your fault. Now, he did rise from the dead, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. I mean, that's kind of the way he preached it. He did rise from the dead just to prove that he was the Son of God, you bunch of jerks. Repent. That's the message to the Jew. Oh, you just read every sermon he preached was like that. Not one time did he ever say Christ died for your sins. Believe. Not once. But then he goes to Cornelius' house. In Acts chapter 10, he gets to Cornelius' house. And you know where he's going. He's going to try to find some way to blame this poor guy for Jesus' death. Well, the Romans were in on it too, you jerk. He starts telling the story. Cornelius' house. He doesn't get very far into the message. And he winds up saying these words. To him give all the prophets witness that whoever believes on his name shall receive the remission of sins. And the Bible in the next verse, this is, Romans, uh, this is Acts 10, 44. As he was still speaking these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all those who heard the word. Peter said, now wait a minute, I've got to ball them out. He didn't say that, but you know he was thinking it. I hadn't got to chew them out. I hadn't, I hadn't figured out a way to blame them for Jesus dying, Lord. Every good sermon I preach where all these Jews get saved, I get to ball them out and tell them what jerks they are for killing Jesus. No. None of that happened. The moment he talked to them about believing on the Lord Jesus, the Holy Ghost, their hearts are purified. And the whole, that's all the Lord needed. Do you understand that God is really looking for any excuse to forgive? Not every church is going to tell you this, but God's looking for any excuse of faith to forgive you. He's not waiting on you to straighten up before he can forgive you. And some of y'all say, thank God for that. Now, he wants you to straighten up, and he's going to lead you to straighten up, and you need to straighten up. Come on, tell two people you need to straighten up. <laughs> I need to straighten up too, praise God. But he's not waiting on you to straighten up before he can forgive you. You know, you get that in your mind. Just listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. You get this in your mind. You do that thing you did. You think, oh, man, I did that again. Man, I promised myself I was not going to use that word. Oh, Jesus. Lord, I just feel so bad. And you hear that voice say, you're just going to ask him to forgive you one more time? Really? You think he's not getting tired of that? The Bible says my spirit will not always strive with man. He's liable to kick you out of the kingdom any minute. I mean, you are really bad at that. I mean, if you were really saved, wouldn't you, wouldn't you have quit that by now? I mean, it's been like, been like seven years. And I'm, I'm, I'm counting. I mean, you'd, you'd probably ask him to forgive you that like 47 times. Swearing every time you're not going to do that again. It got real quiet in here because I think I'm reading somebody's mail. No, I'm reading my mail. I don't know what you go through. It's so true. Let me say to you, forgiveness for your future is your only hope. God is not into punishing you. I never ever, ever 
ever punished my children. Never, ever did I punish my children. And I raised three preachers. Never did I punish my children because I learned this. I never punished them for what they did. Somebody asked me when I was telling this story recently, somebody said, you never spanked your kids? I said, I didn't say I didn't spank. Of course I spanked them. I spanked their pants off. (laughs) But I wasn't punishing them for what they did. I was correcting them for what they were never going to do again. Beating up on them because of what they did. I was blessing them for their future. And I want to tell you something. There is no such thing as now. There is no such thing as the present. Because the moment you even say, now, it's history, it's in the past. The moment you say, right, right, right now, 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 no, 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 now, 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 you can't catch up. It, it's, it's, it's always in the past. Ladies and gentlemen, you have a choice. You're going to live in one of those. You're going to live in the past or you're going to live in your future. And God doesn't need to punish you for what you did. Don't forget, he already punished somebody for what you did. Somebody's already been punished. You may get correction, but it's all about your future. Come on, tell two people grace is a really good thing. Glory to God. That's how good grace is. Wonderful grace. It's all about where you're going. It's not about where you've been. For he who wrought effectually. That wrought effectually there in verse 8 is really one Greek word. Energeo. E-N-E-R-G-E-O. Energeo. Energeo simply means working strongly, effectively. can mean fervency. It can mean full of energy in life. It's very akin, very close to dunamis, only dunamis lends to an explosive kind of power where this is just an exerted kind of power, okay? For he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. That word mighty is the word energeo. It's the same word. So he who he who gave strong energy in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same gave strong energy in me toward the Gentiles. Same word. Same thing that worked in Peter's ministry. I'm talking about walk on water, Peter. I'm talking about heal them with your shadow, Peter. I'm talking about drop them dead in their tracks, Peter. That same energy that was working in him was working, Paul said, was working in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, that is Peter, and John, now this is not the James as in the same James that was on the Mount of Transfiguration or in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus. That James was beheaded in Acts chapter 12. Peter, James, and John, that James, Zebedee's boy, was John, Zebedee's brother. John the beloved, John the apostle that we all know, wrote the book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the gospel of John. That, that James that was beheaded in Acts chapter 12 was his brother. This is the Lord's brother. It's a different James. This is not one of the original 12. Okay? When James, Cephas, and John, and this is the James that actually wrote the book of James. The apostle James never actually wrote any. Thing that we have record of. And when James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, seemed to be, why? Seemed to be. Did you not read the Gospels, Paul? No, he didn't. You need to get this straight. Paul never read the Gospels. They weren't even written probably before he died. Now, there's different, there are differences of opinion, but I'm of the opinion that Paul never read the Gospels. Doesn't sound, his writings don't sound like he ever read the Gospels. Or he'd know who these guys were. Seem to be pillars. Are you kidding? They were on the Mount of Transfiguration. They were witness to the resurrection. They were. John was at the foot of the cross. Seemed to be a pillar. 
Are you getting this? He didn't get anything from them. They were just guys that happened to be in a room where he was. If you and I had been there, we'd been on our faces. Oh, pray for me, John. Because we read all about him. We read all of his books. Paul hadn't. Wow. This is going to help you right here. Paul did not go out amongst the Gentiles and preach what John had written. Paul went out amongst the Gentiles, you, and preached what Jesus told him to preach. And when James, Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, (laughs) the grace, and they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship, that we should go into the heathen, they into the circumcision. Right there. This isn't when it happened. This is him telling us that it happened. So it happened, and now we're getting told it happened. It happened, and now we're getting told it happened. This is not a report of when it happened. This is a separate event, so we have two events. We have it having happened, and we have it winding up in New Testament theological doctrine that it happened. I want you to get that. In terms of hermeneutics, This is a big deal in interpreting the Scriptures. That said, that James and Peter and John, who seem to be some kind of pillars, that they were commissioned not only by the Lord, but in this great gathering of leaders, they were commissioned to preach exclusively to the Jews. I didn't write this. I'm just telling you what it says. Wow. Wow. I'm going somewhere with this. The next time you read or you hear somebody say, and you're talking about your faith, how you made righteous by faith, and some bozo says, yeah, but James says, Faith without works is dead. What he's trying to do is cancel the entire Pauline revelation. And he needs to keep his Gentile mouth off of that Jewish word. Mm, I'm preaching real good right here. I can tell because it always goes real quiet like, I can't believe you said that. I didn't think Pastor John was a heretic. I've listened to the greatest theologians there are. I've, 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 I've read their, their works, and all of them that say, we can blend. James is a practical book, and Paul is theology, and we can blend them, and we can, we're going to show you. They never do it. They never show me how it blends. It still contradicts. Paul said that Abraham was justified by faith alone, not by works. James says, our father was not our father Abraham justified by his works. When What? I can read. I can tell. Those things don't go together. You can tell me they do, but they don't. <laughs> they don't go together. I went to college. I know contradictory statements when I hear them. And if we'll just let our hearts hear this, it'll make perfect sense. Is it the Word of God? Of course it's the Word of God. Of course it's the Word of God. Of course it's the Word of God. But we found out right here who James' ministry was to. James 1.1. 1, 1. Turn there. Well, Pastor John, I thought all the New Testament was for us. Well, it is. All the promises of God in Christ. Hey, all of Leviticus is for you if there's promises in there. You live in the promised land. For you to say, I'm saying that Jews have to keep the law. I, mean, I never found anywhere in the scriptures that lets a Jew out of keeping the law. Paul kept the law, shaved his head, offered a blood sacrifice. No question, it was a blood sacrifice. What does James 1 1 say? We don't have it up here? Oh, there it is. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greeting. Who did he write that book to? 
Who did he write that book to? Come on, I want you to say it. Who did he write this book to? What tribe are you from? I know. You're from the pagan bonehead tribe. I really am, man. I'm part American Indian. We used to chase down buffaloes and shoot them and tear their hearts out and eat them whole. Yeah, baby. <laughs> it was written too. Well, what about, there's a lot of good stuff in James for us. About that garden of tongue? Yeah, yeah, that's all for you. That's all for you. It's all for you. It's got to be careful. If it counters the revelation of Paul, and the Apostle Paul reminded us in Galatians chapter 1 that that was going to happen. If it counters the revelation he preached to you, you've got to be real careful because one or two verses in this book right here can cancel the entire Pauline revelation. I've, I've, talked, I've, oh, I've talked this over so many times with so many wonderful people. They say, explain it to me. And I just wait. Explain it to me, please. People with doctorates, Please explain it to me. Make it fit. Because I'll, I'll, I'll stop saying what I've been saying. And they never make it fit. Every time I have to stop and say, no, 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 no. You said that. The book says this. You say James didn't read, really mean it as, as, as a theological treatise. But he said that that's how Abraham was justified. Tell me that's not theological. Well, I know it says that. Yeah, well, you don't know what it says, do you? Apparently. I know what it says. It says James was called to preach to Jews. And you've got to have that in your mind when you read it. Because James will also tell you that to have money is wrong. Oh, y'all don't like that piece, do you? <laughs> they ain't want you in the house now, I'm telling you. I want to keep your faith intact. I want to keep your faith intact. And I'm telling you, John Holler can be wrong. And when I'm wrong, I repent just like that. But I'm not going to re repent because you disagree. I'm going to repent because you bring me the Scripture. That's all I've done here. I want you to get this. It's all the Word of God. I didn't ask Pastor Eric if I could go this way, but I did. But I don't think you can understand the Scriptures fully until you understand this. When you understand this, you can start really understanding the Bible. I, I taught these things in a conference here a while back out in West Texas. And I had a woman come up to me named Betty. I don't remember her last name. Carlton's wife. She came up to me and she said, John Holler. I went, oh, Jesus, here it comes. I am the biggest heretic in town. <laughs> she said, John Holler, I want you to know something. I said, okay, Betty, hit me with it. She said, I've been studying the Bible for 50 years. Now, normally when somebody says that kind of thing, you are, you are in trouble. And bullets might start flying. One guy did pull out a knife, this one, and gave it to me. I've been studying the Bible for 50 years. And she said, I never understood it. I never could get past those contradictions. But today, I finally understand the Bible. I said, yes, you do. All right, let's move along. Are you getting anything out of this? All right, I got 10 of you with me. Praise the Lord. This is awesome. Only they would, it said, they gave us the right hand of fellowship, and we should go into the heathen, and they into the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, and the same which I was also forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. I'm thinking, Paul, you might ought, you might ought to read the book of Acts. People withstanding Peter don't get along good in life. It's like he's got a death wish. Verse 12, I mean, he's already acting like he's a nobody. And then when he shows up in Antioch, he rebukes him, withstands him to the face. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Don't we love Peter? We act just like him so often, I'm telling you. 
and the other Jews dissembled. Well, that's a nice word for played the hypocrite. That's what the Greek word actually means. They acted like hypocrites. Likewise with him, insomuch that even Barnabas, now he could understand. <laughs> I love this. He didn't seem to be all that upset that Peter had been a hypocrite, but it just bugged him to no end that Barnabas was too. <laughs> because Barnabas had been sent to the Gentiles as well, if you remember. Also, Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. This is the last time we see the word Barnabas in the Bible. Like something happened to his ministry. He didn't follow through. Verse 14, but when I saw that they walked not uprightly, ooh, Peter not walking uprightly. What's, what, where's his downfall? Is he chasing women, getting drunk, smoking dope? Huh? Cheating on his taxes? And is he doing any of that? No, what's he not up walking uprightly? Where, where did he lose his rightness? Huh? Walk not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel. What did Paul say? I stayed with you so that the truth of the gospel would be with you. What was the problem? Religious legalism. All right? And then he says, when I saw they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you being a Jew live after the manner of Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? I've seen this over and over through the years that Gentile believers get interested in Jewish things. And so they go to the synagogue or they'll go to a Messianic synagogue. There's a large one in Dallas. They, and they get interested in all that, and they start being Judea, Ju, you know, Judaistic, and they, they want the talit over their head, and they're going through all that, and they start keeping the feast. I've, I don't know how many believers I've known who said, oh, we, we started keeping the feast. Why? Why? Do you still eat bacon? We're keeping the, we keep the feast, and the Lord is blessing us. I said, no, he's not. No, you're just having a good time. It's like going to Six Flags. You're just enjoying yourself. I don't know what you get out of it, but God's not blessing you for keeping the feasts. In fact, you're saying that the feast of the Lord Jesus isn't quite enough to get the blessings you need by doing that. If that's where you get your blessings, you are backsliding. This is what Paul would say to you. I'm not, it's not my idea. It's what Paul would say to you. You are backsliding. Who has bewitched you? Jews were supposed to do this, but Gentiles weren't called to do that with bacon on their breath. Jews were not called to do that. I mean, uh, Gentiles were not called to do that. We were never told to do that. In fact, in fact, whew, Acts chapter 15 and verse 10, I'm guessing. Acts 15, 10 says, now therefore, why do you tempt, oh, I'm good, ain't I? Now therefore, why tempt you God to put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, that is the Gentile disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Speaking specifically about telling Gentiles you've got to keep the law. And what did he call it? Tempting God. All right, I'm just reading the book. I'm just saying. Why do you compel the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Verse 15, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. Somebody said to me one time when I was telling them about you know, works and righteousness and faith and so forth, they said, well, yeah, but we don't preach in the, that you got the, the works of the law of Moses. I said, that, that law has another name. It's called the law of God. God couldn't come up with works good enough to make you righteous, but somehow, Junior, you've got some. <laughs> what are you, a genius? God couldn't come up with works that make you righteous, but you've got some. <laughs> Please show me your stash. <laughs> I just have... <laughs> I don't... Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law or any works for that matter, for the works of the law of God won't work, no works will. 
But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ. How are we justified? And not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. And when James is talking about works, he's talking about the works of the law. He's talking to Jews. Verse 17. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. He said to build up the law again as some standard for righteousness only makes you a sinner. Verse 19, for I through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Listen, the law of Moses was so beneath where the Holy Spirit took you. Remember, we said that the Spirit came into your life and His name is holy. His first name is holy. He's not just spirit. He's not just ghost. He's Holy Ghost. He's Holy Spirit. Your spirit wasn't holy. It was unholy. But when the Spirit of the living God came into you, He made you holy. And now we do not strive to keep the law. We're looking down on the law from where we've been seated with Christ in heavenly places. Glory to God. To hold the law up as some standard is silly. Right through the law am dead to the law that I might live unto God. Until you get dead to the law, you'll never live unto God. You'll be living for the law all the time. Now hear what he says. This is the Apostle Paul still talking to Peter. Remember? But when I saw that they walked not, he, he said, I said unto Peter before them all, your Bible may have quotations around all this. This is a whole sermon he preached to the Apostle Peter. I am crucified with Christ. Now, this is not some morbid death wish of, a, of a, an apostle trying to overemphasize his point. This is the truth. I am crucified with Christ. I hear it so often. Oh, I'm just crucifying the flesh, brother. And I always say something like this. Well, the day you get saved, that'll end. Because I am crucified with Christ. I don't have to crucify something that's already been crucified. There's not one reference from the end of the Gospels clear through any of the letters to Christians about taking up a cross. The only time a cross is mentioned is talking about the cross of Jesus. You are not crucified until you believe. I am crucified with Christ. That means I don't have to do anything to crucify myself. All I got to do is fully and completely believe in the crucified Christ. Amen. And I'm crucified with Him. The moment I identify with Him at Calvary, I'm crucified with Him. God considers me dead and therefore no more accountable for anything I've ever done wrong. You don't hold dead men accountable for what they did wrong. They're dead. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, well, still, I'm alive. What do you think about that? Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but now Christ is alive on the inside of me. I'm not living by my own flesh. I, now the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ is alive in me. I died to myself when I believed in him, and he came alive on the inside of me. I don't have to live under a law. I walk on top of a law. I am now a law under myself because of Christ the one who wrote the law the one who wrote the law lives on the inside of me interpreting it for me every day brother Bill you got a good big voice I want you to count for me I want you to say a number 1 through 10 starting with 1 I want you to say it and when you say the number I'll make a statement and then you'll say the next number and I'll make a statement. One through ten. Let's go. God had a son by the Holy Ghost to bring the gospel of grace to man. To perfect him. To give him a new start. And then gift him. And make him a law unto himself. You didn't know the gospel was in your numbers. It is. God had a son by the Holy Ghost to bring the gospel of grace to man, to perfect him again, give him a new start, 
gift him and then make him a law unto himself. What all those numbers stand for, all those numbers mean. Glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. To make you a law unto yourself. Pastor John, are you saying that I'm better than the law? Whatever is not of faith is sin. And the Apostle Paul said, well, I hate to say this, but I'm just going to say it. He said, the law is not of faith. But you are. didn't say the law was the righteousness of God in Christ. It said you're the righteousness of God in Christ. It did not say that the law is holier than you. Because it's not. It's holy and just and good. It's not as good as you. It's not as holy as you. If I can just get this into your heart and into your mind, you'll quit sinning. I had a young woman come to me today and said, Pastor John, I've had this thing. I just don't feel so guilty. I, just, I was raised in a real hard church, and I was just so guilty all the time. And I, but I keep doing it over and over, and I just need forgiveness. I, just, uh, I don't know how to get it. You, I hear you talk about grace. I just don't know how to apply it. I said, well, how's the guilt working for you? She said, it doesn't work at all. It just makes it worse. I said, sure it does. And I said, here's how you apply the grace with your own mouth. Listen, if you don't get this confession thing down, you're never going to get the good stuff of God. I said, just repeat after me. I believe. Come on, why don't you try it? Christ died for my sins. According to the scripture. I said that to her. And she repeated that after me. Except I said Bible instead of scriptures because I wanted her to connect I was thinking, I'm going to say, according to the Bible, because, you know, yes, Jesus loves me for the Bible. I wanted her, I was thinking that. And as soon as she said, Christ died for my sins, according to the scriptures, according to the Bible, a door at the other end of the hallway opened up. And music came blaring out of that door down to the other end of the hallway where we were sitting. Music came blaring out of that. And it was a worship song that the music, that the worship team down there was doing. And they were singing, I love you, I really love you. I really love you, I do. I love. And this went on singing this, I really love you. I love you. I really love you. They were singing it to Jesus. But I heard Jesus singing it to her. The moment she said, Christ died for my sins, that door opened up and that music just came blasting down there where we were, loud. And Jesus said to her, I really love you. I said, did you hear him? what he said to you? He just told you how much he loves you. And all you did was make your confession of faith. I really, and it just went on and on, and she burst into tears, and she wept and wept and cried and cried and laughed and cried some more. I mean, she was booing, <laughs> getting after it, just letting the blessing just pour it on her. And that song just kept going, I really, really love you, I love you, I love you, just pouring it on her. After about five minutes, I just let her cry, you know. After about five minutes, she dried her eyes. I said, and she's smiling. She's got this great glow. I said, that grace works a lot better than guilt, doesn't it? She said, yes, it does. She said, that's how you do it. I said, apparently. <laughs> I'm, I, I was really bluffing, but the Lord backed me up. <laughs> I didn't tell her I was bluffing, but... <laughs> He really did that for you tonight, for you to hear. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life 
I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who did what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. Then Then he leaves Peter with this parting shot. I, can I emphasize it the way I think I hear it? Looking at Peter, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness comes by the law, Christ died for nothing. Can you just see Peter going, drop him dead, drop him dead. (laughs) It ain't working with Paul (laughs) because he's right. (laughs) No, Peter didn't say that. Peter's a hero. He didn't say that. I'm just kidding. You know, but he's a man. He probably felt a little something. 2 Peter 3.15, and I'll finish with this. I'm almost done. 2 Peter 3.15. Yeah, I think it's 3.15. Either 2.15 or 3.15. Let's try 3.15. 2 Peter. Yes. Here's the Apostle Peter. Speaking about Paul, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. Look at verse 16. As also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. (laughs) You understand this? Peter had trouble with Paul's message too. Everybody understand this? Peter had trouble with this message too because Jesus didn't tell Peter this. In which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle with as they do also the what? What did he say? Under their own destruction. What did he just call Paul's writings? One of the ways our forefathers realize that Paul's writings were equivalent to the Scriptures because Peter said they were. Wow. Praise God. It's like going to college, isn't it? This is late in Peter's life when he writes Second Peter. He still doesn't really understand Paul, but he's not going to wrestle with it anymore. Apparently, he came to the realization there was a gospel to the circumcision and a gospel to the rest of the world. The rest of the world is 99.9% of the globe. Jews constitute one-tenth of 1% of the population. Go out there and tell them. Go out there and tell them what Jesus did for you. Well, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid I'll mess it up. Nah, there's no bad way to tell a lost man about Jesus. <laughs> there's no bad way to tell a guy who's going to hell about Jesus. Even if you step on your own tongue, who cares? Just tell him. If all you can say, man, you're going to hell. You're going, you're going to hell. I don't want you to go to hell. Come to Jesus today. And, and if all you end up saying is, Jesus, come to church. Just say something. To get him thinking. Doesn't have to be perfect. Doesn't have to be perfect. If it had to be of the law, it had to be perfect. But it's amazing what the grace of God will do and how the Holy Ghost will interpret all your bumblings to touch somebody's heart and bring them to God. Can I have a good amen? amen. How many of you are thankful for that peace? Amen. amen. Father, thank you for these, your people. I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ. To touch these hearts, to plow it up good, so that that seed will indeed fall on good soil. I believe for that. I believe it's going to bring forth a good harvest too. And that many souls will be brought into the kingdom because the people of God understand what grace means. And they can't, can't keep from running out and sharing it with everybody they know. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks. 
Once again, thanks for joining the One Cause Church podcast, Building a Better Life. We invite you to check us out on the web at www.onecausechurch.com for upcoming events and information about us. God bless you.